This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. Joined by Justin Verlander getting the ball on opening day. Steve Sparks here, and I'm with Lance McCuller. Tons of interviews. Robert Ford joined by Michael Brantley. Alex Bregman. Carlos Correa returning to the lineup today. Highlights. That is line in the right field, and that's going to get down for a base hit. High and deep, and it's gone. A grand slam. Follow your favorite team. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. We definitely love playing in front of our fans in Minute Park. <laughs> For the H. They never said it would be easy. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network. Back to Astropod, the official podcast of the Houston Astros. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Astropod. Todd Callis alongside Steve Sparks. We're going to hear from Enos Cabell former Astro third baseman from 74 through 80, and also a second stint with the Houston Astros for Enos in 84 and 85. And we'll talk a little bit about hopefully getting baseball back on the field and playing. But first of all, we welcome in Steve Sparks coming off of Mother's Day weekend. Sparky, how you doing? How was the Mother's Day weekend with your wife, Michelle? Well, I'm doing great, Todd. Thanks for doing this. It's always uh, great to be paired with you doing these. And to have Enos, it's perfect because he's a storyteller, and we, we both love that. Mother's Day was great here. We got to have all three kids over at the house and got to nurture Blondie, uh, pamper her a little <laughs> bit, and uh, she, she was pretty happy with it. I noticed, and your wife is very strong on the, on the social media game, and she posted a few pics from the weekend. Not a lot of people can get away with a fire truck red blazer, but you somehow <laughs> pulled it off. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes she feels slighted, so I felt like, you know, even if I'm wearing shorts, if I put on a jacket, maybe she'll feel like, I, like I'm putting out, out a little extra effort. So I didn't know that that was posted. It's funny that you, you caught me off guard by mentioning that. But uh, yeah, fire, fire red uh, blazer. I thought uh, if I'm going to make her feel special, there's no better way. When you wear that out and about, what do you match it up with? Uh, usually uh, tie-dye uh, britches, <laughs> chaps, you know, anything chaps. like that. Yeah, chaps are great with uh, a fire red blazer. Often on these conversations, we talk about, hey, what are you doing? We're doing this. Occasionally, we'll get out to golf, work out, you know, shooting mm-hmm. baskets, hanging by the pool. Have you hit a, a proverbial wall at any point? I feel like I hit a wall last week where I just mm-hmm. felt like I, I've, I've done everything I can do, and I, I need to have a, a different scene sometime soon. Yeah, well, I've, I've definitely fallen into a routine, so I'm doing a lot of the same things every day. And I'll be honest with you. I've missed baseball way more than I thought I would. You know, I knew I was going to miss it, but, you know, just getting excited about watching the last dance on ESPN is just not cutting it anymore. I, I really want to uh, watch Major League Baseball. It's, it's something that I've loved since I was two, three years old. And uh, I know you're the same way, Todd. This is, this is what we do for a reason. And, 
I, I can't wait for them to get back out there and, and starting to get pretty optimistic that it's going to come to fruition now. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Last Dance because that brought up another thought in my head. And it's something – basketball, it's, Jordan is the greatest. And I know LeBron right now is making a push, but Jordan is so amazing. And looking back on his days uh, as a player and now his, his reflections to me is phenomenal. And every sport – kind of has like that goat attached to it. Like in hockey, you've got Gretzky, mm -hmm. Brady in, NF in the NFL with all his Super Bowl rings. Yep. MJ, even though LeBron in many people's views look, who haven't watched MJ live, MJ Tiger in Woods. basketball, Tiger Woods in golf, Secretariat in horse racing, Ali in boxing, baseball, you could do a whole show on this, but baseball doesn't have like any definitive goat. You could ask 10 people and get seven to 10 different answers. Yeah, it's a good point. So, I mean, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Mike Trout, there's going to be a lot of different answers, isn't there? There is. And, and which, and again, this could be another show that we do because it could, it could encompass a half hour. But yeah. just if we bring it to the present and Mike Trout, he's certainly the best player in this current era. But how important for Trout before the end of his career, oh. uh, if he is going to be considered a GOAT, is it going to be for his team to have success in the postseason? That's the narrative that surrounds the Angels uh, the last five or six years since they haven't made the, even the playoffs. And uh, what's it? He's only played in one playoff series in his in his entire career. And man, you're going to waste uh, one of the most talented players. So the narrative has been: should we trade him, or should we build around him? And, and now that they have Otani in the fold, they feel like they have a, a real mix to be able to to add some pieces. But man, are they're really short on pitching still, aren't they? They are. Uh, it's gonna. They're gonna be better, um, but they are a little short in the pitching staff. Now, here's the other interesting thing, and we can get into this with Enos a little bit in a shorter season, because obviously you're not gonna be able to play 162 games at this point. So, in a shorter season, you can kind of hide a couple of blemishes. A hundred. The, the beauty of baseball in 162 games is whatever your weakness is, at some point it surfaces. But in a shorter stint, in a shorter season you might be able to get away with some things that you wouldn't over the course of a normal year. I totally agree. There's not much luck involved when you encompass 162 games. And things change. You know, the Astros offense certainly got better in June once Jordan Alvarez came up to the big leagues. But impactful players as rookies don't come along that often. You know, trades, you know, you know, teams are propelled with certain trades at the deadline from year to year. But – Man, over 162, you, you're going to see a lot of warts. So, you know, whatever they come up with this year, uh, we hope it's a, a, a nice, good sample. But I'm with you. I think that the Astros uh, have to get off to a good start. We'll see what Enos has to think about it. But uh, I think it's imperative for them to get off to a good start. Yeah, and the other thing that's kind of interesting is the historic perspective of things with baseball. Uh, the magic yeah. numbers in the game, the 300 wins, which pretty much is going to be very difficult for any modern player to hit with the way uh, starting pitchers are used these days. But 3,000 right. hits with Altuve. Albert Pujols, who we'll see uh, with the Angels, continues to move up the charts in home runs, RBIs, and hits. Uh, but a guy like Altuve missing half of a season here yeah. or so. Uh, he's now 30. He was on such an easy pace to reach 3,000 uh, if he just continued to do what he's doing. But now a couple of years where he's been injured and now this year being shortened at least make the chances a little more difficult 
than it looked like maybe a year or two ago. Do you agree? Well, yeah, I do. And it goes to show you how hard it is to amass those types of milestones uh, that guys have done in the past. 3,000 hits is ridiculous, no matter how you slice it. Uh, and for somebody to stay healthy that long and to be that great for so many years just goes to show you why those players are typically Hall of Famers. But, you know, like you said, I mean, you can't plan for anything like this. But it just does goes to, goes to show you, I mean, these players who have amassed numbers like this have remained healthy almost their entire career. The only thing I have done in the last week other than self-quarantine in my house is make a couple of runs down to Minute Maid Park to pick up a couple of items that yeah. uh, we've been promoting. There's really two cool items that are out there right now. Fans are interested. Uh, it, it's at astros.com slash together. They can pick up a T-shirt for $25, and they can also pick up a mask for $15. And the masks uh, are pretty cool. They're actually made out of material that was used in Astros gear along the way. There's white, yep. orange, blue. You have yours? I do. I've got a white one. I saw you uh, posted a picture. of You had the blue one, right? Yep, I got a blue one, and they made about, what, 9,000 of these masks? I think so. You know, it's a great product, and obviously it's going to be a keepsake, but right now it's it's big. I, I like the fact that it, it really covers your nose and your mouth well, and there's no room for escape, but uh, they look great. And I will say this. I did go to the grocery store, and I went somewhere else. I can't remember, and I had that mask on, and I had about five or six people ask me where in the world I got that. So uh, we're going to let them know right now. But uh, I told people as well as – uh, because it looks good and people want a piece of it. Yeah, and again, it's astros.com slash together. You can get the T-shirts or the mask, and the entire uh, donation will head towards the Astros Foundation and its COVID-19 relief efforts. You actually put on a video. I just did a still mask uh, uh, shot, a little picture that my wife took. You did a video coming out of a swimming pool that pretty much – uh, drop the mic for anybody else. Like you set that, the bar. Did, that didn't get posted, did it? You serious? Oh, I did with, not know that. With so many likes and com. Oh yeah. Oh, I had so no idea. I, I was just uh, going to send that to you guys. I was trying to make it like, uh, you remember when Zoolander did the commercial yes. uh, with, yes. uh, with the, in the water? I was trying to make something really goofy like that. <laughs> And the water was so dadgum cold that I only got to, to shoot it a couple of times. So I don't even know what was said. I was just trying to be, I was trying to be stupid and send something to you guys like Zoolander. I didn't know it got posted. I, re- I honestly did not. They're posting everything these days. Uh, by the way, speaking of social media, and we're going to get to Edis Cabell. He's uh, waiting online right now. So we're going to get to him uh, in just a little while. But speaking of social media, our own Julia Morales, we just learned on Mother's Day, is expecting. And a few of us got a little bit of a heads up. But for the most part, that was the public announcement. Uh, what a great moment for her uh, and Matt and uh, everybody. I mean, we're so happy for her, right? We are. I mean, she, her and Matt both, We, you know, I, we've golfed a lot with Matt. We've become really good friends with her husband as well. But uh, they're a great couple. We know they're going to be great parents, very loving and uh, it's just it's just fun to root for uh, uh, people like that who are so excited. Uh, it, Julia had texted me late last week at one point and said, "Sparky, we're, we're having a baby." I said, "All right, you got to name him. You got to name him Corey after the coronavirus." And she goes, "No, it's a girl. I'll call her Ronnie." <laughs> oh, that's awesome! So I cannot wait. In addition to everybody else, 
to see pregnant Julia uh, once this thing is over. Uh, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch the progression, won't it? Absolutely. One of the things we miss most about going to Minute Maid Park on a regular basis is seeing the smiling face of Astros legend Enos Cabell. Enos, thanks for joining us on this Astros podcast. Tell us how you're doing. We haven't seen you since spring training. I'm just sitting here in my study watching the water. I've got a lake in the backyard, so I'm watching the water just ripple and really not doing a lot, uh, staying out of the way of most people. Uh, I'm doing, the, I guess, the distancing and staying home a lot because I'm 70 and I have diabetes, so uh, I'm trying to stay away from most people. I miss hugging my grandbabies, but other than that, oh yeah, uh, just trying to get this over with. And you know, as much as everybody values your opinion and and the the great job you've done with the Astros in the front office the last 20 years, how much contact have you had with the new general manager James Click, the manager Dusty Baker, and the other folks? Well, I talk to probably each one at least once a week uh, to find out what's going on and just talking about different things that we have to do. And hopefully when we start, uh, you know, we'll be on set to do different things. Uh, don't really know how many people they're going to have on the team when we start. But, but I talk to each one probably once a week uh, just to find out how they're doing, what's going on. And then, you know, give my little input if I got any. And hopefully we'll get this started. Yeah, that's going to be the biggest question is how they do come together. I know for you, uh, basically the same age as Dusty Baker, played against them for a number of years. I'm sure you guys were looking forward to this thing starting on time. And uh, this is kind of like time lost because uh, Dusty said, hey, this is my last hurrah. I know you guys probably would have been – right there in the clubhouse talking before and after games. Uh, you missed that already? Yeah, I missed that because, you know, I've, I've spent a lot longer in spring training usually than I usually do. You know, I usually go like twice a year in spring training. And this was different because, you know, Dusty, heck, he didn't even know most of our coaches and didn't know hardly any of the minor league coaches. So we were talking about that. I was familiarizing him with how our system works, what we do, what other people do, uh, because, you know, he trusts me. And, you know, he needed to find his own ground. Uh, And, you know, it's a really tough situation for him to come in in the first place. And he had to sound stuff off on on people. And he trusted me because he knows, well, you guys know I don't lie about anything. I mean, I'm not going to cut the truth for somebody to make them feel good. He had the biggest adjustment. I think we hired the right guy because in our situation, I mean, he has the respect of all the writers and all the press, and he, he's been down that road. And we're good. I mean, we're still good no matter what they do to us. Uh, but we had to win. We can't go in there and lose or get our tails whipped and think that we're going to be okay. And the only way you get them to shut up is you whip their tail. So he he understood that. So. So how much is James relying on, on you, Enos? Because I know you've been brutally honest and unfiltered in the past with Jeff Luno. Uh, what's James Click in your relationship at right now? Well, it's good. I mean, we talk once once a week at least, and uh, he's listening. You know, he was thrown into a hornet's nest, and really it yeah. was surprising how quickly uh, Jim hired him because uh, we had just interviewed him, and then <laughs> Jim hired him two days later. So I said, well, I said, Jim is comfortable with him. So James has to get used to what we do in our organization because, you know, we've got a lot of good players, but we do a lot Mm -hmm. of technical stuff too that, you know, 
you know, checking on people, what they do, if we can change a rotation or, or how they how they pitch or how they play. And he needs to learn all of that stuff because he came from Tampa, which does a lot of the stuff that we do, but it's still not the same. And then he has to learn that he's the leader. I mean, I've told him that probably four or five times. I said, you're the leader. I said, everybody follows what you say and what you do. And hopefully him and Dusty have mixed very well, and so they'll get their minds together. Because really, Jim owns the team, but they run the team, and they've got to be on the same level. Edith Cabell, our guest on today's Astros podcast, what are your thoughts about, I know it's got to be a difficult situation either way, but with this year's player draft, the June free agent player draft or whatever it's going to be, uh, it might be difficult for some young men who don't get drafted. You got to figure out where your shortcomings are and then, I mean, pick from that. And hopefully you pick right. And usually we pick pretty good. So, but you got to fill those spots. And as you talk about filling spots, where do you see Jordan uh, fitting in as far as away from the DA spot? Do you, do you feel like he's a competent outfielder? Well, if he, if he plays anywhere in the outfield, he's going to play left field. Our left field is, mm-hmm. is small, so it's it's pretty easy to put him into our left field. It's, his problem is he's so big, he runs real well. I don't think he's finished growing. That's the problem. I think yeah. he's, he's going to grow some more. He's going to get bigger. Uh, I just think he's, he's so big and so young that he's still growing. Well, Enos, uh, initially, you're probably not going to have fans. I mean, it's the, the way things are going. What do you think the games are going to look like and sound like from both the fans' perspective and the players' perspective? It's going to be different for the players, too. You know, on the road, we're going to get booed the hell out of, and you won't have that many people booing you. So, uh, I mean, I've always told the players, I told them at spring training, I said, if they don't boo you, then you're not a very good player. <laughs> so, so you want yeah. to get booed because that means you're a good player. I mean, Stevie, you know, if they, if they sit there and they boo you, then you know they don't want you to do well, and you've probably right. done well against them. So if you haven't got used to the boo, it might be a little bit stronger but heck hey when i went to philadelphia or new york they booed the hell out of me i didn't care especially la and i was from la so that was your fan. i said oh my hey, yeah well i grew up there i mean <laughs> heck, heck probably, probably ten thousand of those people went to school with me <laughs> so but they've got to get used to that the only way you get this off of you what we did is to beat on them uh, you have to beat them. You don't beat them ten to nothing. It's like you know that you beat them fifteen to nothing. After you beat them that bad, they will stop booing you. <laughs> they will say, "No, we don't want to see them no more. Let them go. Leave them alone." Yeah. So the players, I think, set their minds on that. It's just a shame that it was turned away like this. And this has never happened before. I mean, I've been in four or five strikes. And it's never been like this where it is detrimental to everybody. And you know, so you're so intuitive. And I, I remember, you know, it was probably about six years ago, maybe five years ago, that uh, I, I had a conversation with you in spring training and you'd seen George Springer playing A ball. And some of your uh, comparables uh, that for George Springer were, were through the roof. And you're right. And then you said to me, Carlos Correa is going to be a leader as soon as he walks into that major league clubhouse. What did you see in those two, Springer and Correa, uh, when they were real young? 
Well, George, I, I, when we drafted George, I was in the meeting, and I didn't know that much about George except seeing the videos and stuff. And then I saw him play, and I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting, I'm sitting there with uh, Jeff and and uh, A Ball, and they the guy somebody he had, he was on first base, and somebody hit a ball off the pitcher's ankle, and it went in the oh right past the first baseman. George scored from first base when he when he got to almost home he he flew like Superman in the air and I'm saying Jesus and I hit I hit Jeff in the ribs and I said did you see that and I said and he looked at me and I said I haven't seen anybody do that since Willie Mays I said wow I said that boy can play and he got yeah. better and he was getting better he's George I think is thirty thirty one but he's like a twenty six year old when he plays he. Mm-hmm. He lights the he lights the match, and then we get on fire. We can score five or six runs so quick you your head can, you can't get anybody in the bullpen warm because that's he lights the match. And then Carlos, I mean Carlos, we saw him in spring training. We uh, they had where they had a workout, and Carlos was seventeen, I think, at that time, a baby, and he's six foot four. Size 15 shoes, and he's playing shortstop. And they let him hit for the first oh, seven at bats. And he was hitting some rockets. He didn't get that many hits. But then he went and played in the shortstop, and he went in the hole between first and I mean, uh, third and short. And he backhanded the ball, and he got up, and he threw the ball. I said, oh, shoot. <laughs> and he threw it. Yeah. And I said, I said, shoot, he could play shortstop right now for us. And so I just knew it. And by the fifth inning, our guys that did not know him were giving him high fives. They didn't know who the hell he was. And they, our guys on our team that were professionals was giving him high fives. And I'm sitting there, I said, then he came over and started talking. And I said, he's smart too. I said, shoot, he's Puerto Rican, Spanish. He speaks Spanish and English fluently. And I said, he's 17. But uh, by, by the time we left, we draft, we took him over everybody. And I was... I was really happy with that because I said, well, we got a shortstop for about 10, 15 years that we can pay him. And shoot, it's been like that. He's, I mean, and he's really not hit his level because every year, mostly he's, he's gotten hurt. Strange injuries, but, you know, that happens. I mean, but he can play. This is great. This is great insight, Enos, as to why yeah. we miss going to the ballpark so much because we miss these stories. We miss hanging out with people like you at the ballpark. I, I, you co- you played in a day when you had to win your division to get to the postseason. It took the Astros from 1980 to win that NL West, and the Phillies won the NL East, and you guys had one of the epic series of all time. Now you got five teams from each league getting in with two wild cards. I've got to think in a reduced schedule this year, and I know everything's been kind of laid out on the table. There's no definitive plan right now, but do you see extra teams getting in in a shortened season this year into the postseason? I mean, we've had uh, a couple of seasons like this where it's been this short. It's the people that come out of the box and play well at the start. Uh, that helps. And a short season like this, if you get out and you get a streak going the first two weeks, you've almost got it. And I think you need to get out of the block. And we got the pitching to get it out, get us out of the block and the hitting. And we play great defense. We don't give the ball away. So if our pitchers pitch, we should win. And once you get in the play, playoffs, you know it's, it's pot luck. It's a crapshoot. You can lose one game, one to nothing, and two to one, and heck, you give up two hits and you lose the game. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm kind of going stare crazy. I've 
told my wife, I said, I'm starting to snap at people. I need to see my granddaughters. <laughs> I need to see my granddaughters. I can't cuss George and them out when they mess up. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm sitting at home. Uh, Todd mentioned the 1980 playoffs in that NLCS against the Phillies is one of the best ever. What do you remember most about those playoffs, and how does that team 40 years ago compare to the one that yeah you watch now with the Astros? We didn't have a great hitting team. We we hit, ran the bases, and we played hell of a defense, but we had a hell of a pitching staff. We were four or five deep in starting pitching, and we had three young kids that were in the bullpen, Sambito, LaCorte, and Dave Smith. And they they were like 20, 21 years old, and they didn't care. They, They just pitched their tail off. And, you know, the fans were just all over the place. I mean, you... We we leave on the bus and they would be lined up. We used to leave out a hobby back then, and the people would be lined up down the street as we were going on the road. I think we could have competed, and we probably should have won the World Series for two or three years from there because we had just gotten Nolan, Jr. Had just had a stroke, and then we uh, had Necro with Kenny Forge, Burn Rule. I mean, we had a hell of a pitching staff, and then uh, just. Stuff happened. I mean, then we lost to Daniel. Remember, we lost to Daniel in the playoffs, I think, the third game. Yep. And so Daniel was was our best player. I mean, how do you lose your best player, your best pitcher? Because J.R. was probably been in the Hall of Fame because nobody could hit J.R. at that time. And, uh, you know, then you had Nolan hit pitch in second or Necro. I mean, what do you want? I don't think they could have beat his pitching. It probably been 24 innings and nobody would have scored (laughs) playing against the guys nowadays because I don't think they would have liked Nolan and J.R. and Necro that often. Phillies were going to win uh, the World Series against Kansas City. So it was one of those NLCSs that literally was a razor's edge, not just in Game 5, but every single game. And it was only a five-game series. I wish there was a seven-game setback then. The last four games were all extra innings. I mean, that's unheard of, that series. Got a lot of bad breaks because it was a triple play that they didn't call. That was before instant replay. And, you know, we had some, you know, Morgan was injured. I had a little bit of injury. And then, you know, we had Cheo and Terry Poole. And then Sedania would just got knocked out. I mean, he was he was gone. And Sedania was our best. He was probably one of the best players in the big leagues at that time. And, you know, we had a really good team, but we didn't make any mistakes, and we ran the bases. I don't think anybody's ever run the bases better than that team. But uh, it was very upsetting, you know, and shoot. I mean, I think we got $26,000 for our playoff share, and hell, now it's it's $200,000. Unbelievable. And I don't think Kansas City would have beat us. I mean, they they couldn't have stood our pitching staff. And Philadelphia just they won they had that will to win. They had Pete and Pete was driving them. And then they had the great Mike Smith playing. So uh and really they didn't have nowhere close to pitching staff that we did because they had they had Steve Carlton and that was it. I mean, their starting pitching was okay, but it it wasn't like our starting pitching. Hey, when you first came up with the Baltimore Orioles, um your manager was Earl Weaver and a lot of people know who Earl Weaver was, but if you don't, he was just a very fiery, no-nonsense manager. And I got a kick out of reading something about you, Enos, that because you were blocked on the corners of the infield by Brooks Robinson and Boog Powell, you 
went into Earl's office one day and asked for a trade. How'd that go? <laughs> I, I locked her next to Tommy Davis and Brooks Robinson. And and I had, I had won three batting titles in the minor leagues going up. No. And and Earl, I didn't hit any home runs. I was six foot five, a hundred, and she was maybe sixty five pounds wet. Yeah, Earl. Earl did not like me, but I could play. I could play seven positions. I play everywhere except catching. And I wasn't going to pitch, and I played everywhere. And then every time Earl would play me, I would get a hit or two hits, and we'd win the game. And so I said, "I said, There's no way. I'm pretty smart. I went to junior college in California, so I was pretty smart." <laughs> So Tommy Davis, he was like a mentor. He said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to trade me. I'm going to make him trade me. He said, he's not going to trade you. I said, yes, he is. Because I said, I'm not going to play in front of Brooks. I'm not going to play in front of Boogie. I said, I need to leave here. And he said, well, what you going to do? I said, I'm going to go in there every week and cuss him out. So I'd go in there. <laughs> Earl was about five foot seven. And he wore, you know, back in the way you had those clogs, he wore the clogs oh. so he could get two or three more inches. Oh, those platform <laughs> shoes. Yeah, the platform shoes. So I'd go in there every week, and I said, I said, my dad's in California. He just wants to see my name in the paper. Let me pinch run. <laughs> and he says, I'll play you when I want to play you. And I started, I, I tried to do it nice the first two times, and then it wasn't working. So I said, well. I said, I'm going to go in and cuss him out. And I went in there, I called him every, everything in the book. And he said, get the F out of my office. And I said, I'll be in here next week if you don't play me. And she, I, did it every, I did it every week. And finally, he had the general manager meet me in there, Frank Cashin. And they said, well, we're not going to trade you. And I said, Shh. I said, you're going to trade me. So I went to Winter Ball. I was hitting 380 in Winter Ball. Wow. And my father called me and said, they just traded you to Houston. I said, they told me they wasn't going to trade me. <laughs> but I was pretty sure of myself because I'd, I'd won two batting titles or three batting right. titles and MVP a couple of times. And I said, I'm never going to play here. I'm just going to sit here on this bench. Shoot, probably the best thing I ever did. I made a few mistakes in my life, but that was one of the ones that really helped. I love that team, too, because I, I came up through their system. And mm -hmm. Jim Fry was my manager, uh, Cal Ripken Sr., it was my double-A manager, and he would throw batting practice to me every day in Dallas at 3 o'clock. Well, you know how hot it is in Dallas hot, at 3 o'clock in the hot. summer. It's like 110. And then he would let Billy Ripken and Cal Ripken with shag balls barefooted in outfield. <laughs> we still talk about that. <laughs> to this day, I said, boy, your daddy made me a hell of a player. So I was very lucky. I love Houston. I mean, Houston's a great place to play, especially if you win. If you get traded in the uh, 74 offseason, come to Houston 75 through 80 the first time around, and, uh, it seemed like you, were, you guys were about 500 when you joined the team, and then towards the end of that decade, in, in 79, you took a big step up, and then in 80, uh, we already talked about. But uh, as soon as you got to Houston, you were – a guy, and everyone assumes that you were a third baseman your whole time here, but you were a guy that played, like you said, everywhere. When you first got here, a lot of outfield, some third, some first, right? First got here, Doug Rader was a third baseman. And that was like, you know, going over the National League before I was in. I wasn't going to play that much. And so uh, 
the manager, Preston Gomez, at that time was trying to keep me in the lineup and get me to play. And so, you know, he said, well, you, you can, I know you played outfield. Can you play first? Is that star as the first baseman? And I said, Brooks Robinson taught me how to play third. And so I, I played everywhere. I mean, I think I've, I might've played 130 games and shoot, I played everywhere. I mean, I played second sometimes and then Bill Verdon took over a year or two later and they traded Doug and they said, you're the third baseman, go play. And shoot, I played third for probably about five years straight. And I really enjoyed it over there because our pitching was so good. And I said, just catch the ball. They said, knock it down and throw them out. So that's what I did. But I was always, I started as a second baseman in high school and college. So I was a, I was a infielder, shortstop, second baseman, and I moved. But I could run, too. That was my big thing. I could run. Yeah. yeah. 1978 rolls around. You're the team MVP. And, and there's a couple of numbers that I love. Number one is that you played every game. You, you played all 162 games. 660 at bats that year, Enos, and you had 22 walks. What? Yeah. You sold well, everything. Well, a lot of people don't understand that. That Bill James, the one that wrote writes the books and all the time, he yeah. he was dogging me about some stuff. But you know, in our park at that time, and uh, Sparky, you've probably been there. And Cal's, well, you grew up there, so yep. you know how big it was. And our main thing was our pitching was so good that we needed to score and score early so it gives some of our pitchers relief. And so Bill Verdon had that much confidence in me. I was like 2007, and I was hitting second all the time. And then Terry Poole came, and he had so much confidence that I hit and run. I would hit and run practically three times a game because okay. all I knew and our pitchers knew if we got one or two runs, we were going to win because our bullpen was so good. So I had the, and this doesn't happen very often. They let you hit and run. He let Bill said, "I have enough confidence. In you know what you're doing." I hit and run, and every pitch, Terry Poole, when Terry Poole would get hot, he'd be on first, one out, no outs. I would hit and run, and it was easy because if two and two and zero, oh, two and one, three and one, it was hit and run. It was on, and nobody knew that except me and Bill and Terry Poole. And wow. so I'd hit and run practically every time trying to move them along for Cheo and, and Cedeno and Bob Watson. So if I move them, or I got them a base hit, got a base hit after Terry got on, we got a chance to score two or three runs. And if we did that, we, did that, we were going to win. So he had enough confidence in me to let me do what I wanted to do. And that's very seldom that, you know, players get to do that. Now it's all about the home run. I probably could have hit home runs, but it wouldn't have helped us win. And, you know, it's, we got our tails whipped by the Reds and the Dodgers for about three years in a row. And then mm-hmm. finally we started making movement and we started getting good and we knew we were getting good. And then she, as soon as we won, I think we should have won in 79. Our pitching gave out mm-hmm. and they, we never made a trade. I mean, in 79 when we, we had like five guys could hit the other other ones they couldn't hit hit the brick i mean i love alan ashby but ash couldn't hit <laughs> and so and so we we'd have to wait around to start over to score runs and so you know we just tried to move them along but then we got good and we got where you have to learn how to win and not be afraid 
and we should have won in 79. Then we finally won in 80. And I just went in the bathroom and started crying. I said, boy, we didn't got our butt whips for so long. It's finally good. It's good. We won. So, and then we didn't win the World Series. I was trying to pay my house off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story about you putting on your own hit and run. And that was a team, yeah. looking at some of these numbers from 1980, that was a team you stole 21 bags. Landestoy, Rafael Landestoy t- stole 23. Joe Morgan at age 36 stole 24. Poole stole, stole 27. Cheo stole 36. And Sedanio stole 48. I'm guessing if you put your own hit and run sign on, are you guys putting your own steals on too? Yeah, Bill was like that. He wanted you to run. And we knew he had to run because we weren't hitting any home runs. See, when Bagsy and Biggio came, they moved them fences in. When we were playing, you had to hit it all the way up in the stands. It was those that big fence there, that wall. Yeah. Yeah, hit it over the wall. I hit three balls in one game off the top of the left field wall and got two, three doubles. I said, that'd be on the street anyplace else. And excuse me, I got three doubles. I mean, it was just, it was crazy, but you had to play to where you feel. If I played in this park right now, Minute Maid, I'd probably hit 30 home runs because I'm not hit. If I hit the ball to right field, it would have been a mistake because I'm trying to get up in them green seats up in there like Alex does. I mean, you got to pull the ball in that park if you're right-handed. If you go to center field, you're an out. So I'd be pulling. But uh, you have to play to your field and to your team. And if you don't do that, see, we score runs, and we score them in bunches. You don't see us making one run or something. We hit two-run, three-run homers, grand slams. We score. And if we get ahead with our pitching staff, we're supposed to win. The players know that. So, I mean, that's this team is very, very good. We don't need a lot of help. Our pitching, we need the help from our young kids, and they need to step up. If they step up, we win easy. Hey, Enos, what, what was it like, uh, the conversations you'd have with guys on the other team about J.R. Richard and his heyday? <laughs> they didn't want to face him. He was, and he was mean. He'd be, you know, yeah. he was the nice, nicest guy on Sunday. He's playing church music and stuff like that. But when he got on the mound, I mean, they were literally scared of him. They were afraid. Guys, big boys would not play. They would take their day off. Because I've, I've seen Jr. just he gets he would get act like he's mad. He pull his hat down because he's six foot nine. Pull his hat down over his eyes. He gonna kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they knew it too. Oh, they knew it. If he wouldn't have had that stroke, we probably would have won for five years in a row. Because remember, we we just signed Noli too. Yeah, so you yeah. got you got Jr. And Noli throwing it, and and Burton was very smart because he put. Negro in the middle of those two guys. Mm-hmm. And so you're facing a guy throwing a hundred and then you throw in a knuckleball that's flaring all over the place. And then you throw in another guy that's throwing a hundred and both of them had great breaking balls. And, and Noli would hit you just to look at you. <laughs> I mean, everybody <laughs> thinks Noli is a nice guy. Noli hit you <laughs> if they threw at us or something like that. Noli knocked their head off. I mean, <laughs> that stuff that they say that they do now. <laughs> don't mess with the big text. <laughs> the, the, the big text was mean. Oof. 
Well, uh, I think Dusty told the story about Jr. Uh, this spring about for against Jr. and Jr. wanted to go out after the game, and Dusty's like, "I'm not getting in your car. You just you just tore me up on the baseball deck." What do you remember about your head-to-head battles with Dusty through the years? Oh, Dusty was a good player, a uh, very heads-up player. Never made mistakes, almost like he manages. I mean, hmm. he knows what's going on. I mean, they were talking about all this stuff about. Uh, mathematics and statistics and all that stuff. He already knew that stuff. He knew the numbers. I mean, I hit a ball down the right field line with the bases loaded one time and I parked and Dusty standing on the right field line. And I'm sitting, when I hit it, I said, oh, shoot, I got all the money now. Everybody's going to score. He's standing there. I said, you can't play me there. He started laughing at me. He said, I knew where you were going to hit it. But... I mean, he's, he was the perfect guy. I mean, and we hated him. We hated the Dodgers. I mean, it, when the Dodgers came in town, I mean, they threw whiskey bottles at, at Tommy Lasorda all the time. I mean, they were full of whiskey, too. I said, boy, they're going crazy. He's throwing the whiskey away. But, heck, we hated the Dodgers. I mean, we we had fights with them, uh, everything. We just, because they tried to intimidate you the same way as the big red machine. And if if you got intimidated, you were going to lose. And it took us a while to get over that because all of us were very young and they were seasoned veterans. And they intim- they tried to intimidate you. Bird hooting and Sutton and them. I mean, Sutton couldn't hurt a fly with his fastball, but he had a hell of a breaking ball. I mean, we did not like them at all. And, and Dusty even talked about it. We had three, four really good fights. And it wasn't no kissing and stuff in those fights either. They were throwing right hooks and stuff. Hey, Enos, I always wanted to ask one of you guys who was around on those teams in the late 70s, what was going on uh, with the team when they were shooting the movie Bad News Bears and Breaking Training? That was 1977. I know Tal Smith was involved with the team, and his son, Randy, who became a general manager, he was the shortstop for the other team against the Bears. But did you guys have much interaction with – with Kelly Leak and Tanner and those guys? Yeah, they were all kids at that time. And yeah. uh, I was hidden when we started that dang thing. We'd play the night game, and then we'd have to show up at like 6, 7 o'clock in the morning the next morning. And no we'd play like two double hitters in a week that we were doing that. I started, uh, we started, I was hitting 330. When we finished, I was hitting 280. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> I said, I said I be, I'm glad when this stuff is over with. I mean, we were so tired. And, I mean, I'd play every day anyway. And so I would – the kids were fine, but they were young kids at that time. And, uh, you know, the guys that were in that, it was a pretty, pretty good movie too. I mean, it became famous. I mean, but uh, the kids, they were just young kids. I mean, the – you know, we had a couple of deals that we had to go through night dinners or parties or whatever. Yeah, but, uh, what'd you get paid for that? Did they pay you? Shoot, six hundred dollars. Really? That's all. That's all. Nowadays, oh. it'd probably be sixty thousand dollars. But hey, we got six hundred dollars. <laughs> cost 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 me cost me forty fifty points on my batting average. <laughs> they wouldn't work. <laughs> In reference to that movie being shot, you said, "I can't wait to get over with this stuff." And I think we feel the same way today about this coronavirus pandemic. Oh, yeah. Edith, you have given us such a, a a great time just kicking back and hearing some of these stories. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to have the 2020 version of the Houston Astros out there on the field. And 
Hopefully we'll get some good news soon. But, uh, hey, it was great having you on this podcast today, buddy. Well, thank you. I mean, the, the guys, I love the guys. They make me, make me young. Well, it's great hearing from you. Uh, we're glad you're doing well. and hope to see you soon, Enos. Have a good day. Sparky, get well, Sparky. I need some money. Oh, well, I'm good. <laughs> All right, bye. Cabell is the hitter. Enos is over for two. The pitch to Cabell, and Cabell hits a deep to left field. It's got a chance to go up and spare. It's gone. Sparky, I think you have spent a lot of hours with Enos through the yeah. years. Uh, what a riot. Yeah, I can't believe he was a broadcaster for six years. I mean, how did they censor Enos Cabell <laughs> in a booth? I don't care if it's radio or TV or, you know, if you got a six-second delay. I don't know what it is, but, I mean, he will say anything. He's unfiltered. Uh, it's why the players love him. It's why the people in the front office love him. It's why everybody in baseball who's come across Enos Cabell in the last 40, 45 years has fallen in love with somebody who's passionate, uh, who's honest and uh, very smart and very witty. He's a lot of fun to be around. I love what his wife, Ruby Todd said, you know, when Enos was talking about retirement a few years ago, she said, why would you retire? You don't do anything. <laughs> so he, he takes it to our, it's not work for him. You know, he shows up at the ballpark every day and uh, he's very valuable to this organization. I know he told us off the year that he has been really self quarantining and has not really played golf at all. So right. have, he did say he can't wait to get back on the golf course. Once all this passes, I assume you guys may have crossed paths on, on a golf course at some point. We have Listen to this, you know, about 15 years ago, I asked him why he shows up to the ballpark late on Fridays. He says, it's because I play in a game at the golf course with a bunch of doctors. He said, I make more money at the golf course than I do at the ballpark. So why, so why come early? Oh, it's so good. He's one of those guys you just want to be in his group, like yourself. You always make the, the round more entertaining. Uh, Sparky, before we uh, call it a day here, uh, just another reminder to fans, there are some great items on astros.com slash together uh, that we've been promoting here the last week or so. Yeah, my, my son stole my, stole my Houston Together t-shirt, so I'm going to go out and buy another one. Also, you can get the cool face mask with the Astros uh, logo that they've used from other products uh, in the team stores in the past. And, and Todd, what's the, what's the name of that website again? Yeah, it's astros.com slash together. $15 will get you one of the face masks, $25 for the t-shirts, and all the proceeds go to the Astros Foundation and its COVID-19 relief efforts. Uh, finally, Sparky, a little bit of news heading in the right direction. I know there's a lot of moving parts here and variables, but um, wow, we've needed some news, and, and hopefully this is the, the first few steps towards getting baseball back on the field. Yeah, I think the news is what kind of gets us going a little bit. You know, I, I can't wait to even start preparing uh, for some broadcasts and, and getting a chance to be around you guys and talk shop. And, you know, Todd, I know you and I, we have great conversations and Blummer and Robert and, and Julia, and we, we get a chance to really dive into uh, 
what we love, what we're passionate about. We want to bring that to the Astros fans and hopefully it's sooner than later. If we travel on that first charter, I'll be looking for that fire engine red uh, blazer you have. So. <laughs> All right, I'll break it out just for you. I, I love it. Hey, buddy, always great catching up. You too. For Steve Sparks and Enos Cabell, we hope you enjoyed this little Astro pod and uh, stay safe out there. Don't forget to go to Astros.com slash together. Pick up your Astros t-shirt or Astros face mask, and we'll talk to you down the road. See you later! Houston, we know these are uncertain and unprecedented times, but we will get through this. We will get through this together. Together. It is important that we all take the necessary steps to ensure safety of our loved ones and our community. You're the best fans in baseball. The best. And we love you. We love you you baseball will be back and we cannot wait to see you stay safe houston for the h it's for the h okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.